0: Now, you thought you were coming to a service today, but this is actually a family gathering. Uh, it's special to be with you. I know some of you, not all of you, but I feel strong connection, a lot of joy in getting to worship here with you. Um, it's been great to have time together in our Father's presence, worshiping Him. It was a great set of songs, just helping us declare truth today. Thanks, Rob, for the invitation. Good to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Dallas, and I work with an organization I won't mention the name of, but you can see some information at the at the back table there if you're interested. Um, And we keep seeming to overlap with salt and light churches. Two years ago, our international director came through and preached at the old building here of Calvary. And then I got to speak here a year ago. And lots of excuses to be in the building here, which has been great. Some good friends here in the congregation. Um, And yeah, good to be here today again. Um, And we even have salt and light members from the UK that are serving with our organization overseas. So what exactly do we do? A simple way of of saying that would be that our organization sends Canadians out to the hard places in order to bring the blessing of the kingdom of God. Today is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but first Sunday of November is when this takes place. So my message title today is Joining with the Persecuted Church in Mission. Um, And I'm planning to cover four things today. We want to consider the hard places in the world. We want to look at God's Word together. We want to learn some lessons from the persecuted church. And hopefully we can have our eyes a little more lifted up to the harvest fields. So a question for you. What was it like for you coming into church today? Maybe you were a little bit flustered. Someone couldn't find their socks or they took too long to get out of the shower. I don't know. Um, We're often a bit flustered and we get to get out to our church. But maybe you had a nice drive in, you pulled into the nice paved parking lot, walked in, greeted your friends, walked into a beautiful building here. Or maybe you're still at home. Is that the camera there? All right, yeah. So maybe you're even still in your pajamas. I don't know, but you're on a comfy couch. you got a bowl of cereal on your lap and you're just really enjoying the service here with the sun kind of streaming in your windows. Um, The question that was at the back of your mind might have been... You know, is Greg going to play my favorite worship songs this Sunday, or is Rob going to put me to sleep, or is he going to have good stories today? I don't know. You know, you might have had different questions in your mind. But in China, a believer might go to church at a service at like 2 a.m. under the cover of darkness. Is this all the way up? High is good. Thanks. And their question in going in might be, is this the day that I'm going to die? My grandfather died for his faith. My father died for his faith. As I attend this church service tonight under the cover of cloud and darkness, is it my turn to die tonight? That's the question that our brothers and sisters face on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or a Friday afternoon, wherever they're meeting in whichever country. And that's a question that's helpful for us to keep in mind. Attending church has a death penalty in some places. And attending church looks different in Afghanistan, too. You saw the, the video on the break with the interview with John Weaver. I've spent some time with John Weaver before. This is his book. I read through it before I went overseas, and it might be a one that you enjoy. I'm going to put it on the back table. I've got a number of books that you can borrow today, um, one or two of my personal ones, and I actually stole a bunch out of the library upstairs. It was a great collection, and I kind of picked and chose some really good ones for this Sunday that are on the table that you can also sign out. So a church service in Afghanistan with full attendance might be five people. And five is actually a bit too much because you start drawing too much attention. Scattered believers might travel in from several hours away, and they'll be careful to space out their arrival times with each other. Curtains will be drawn closed, no sun streaming in. There might be nobody that has a Bible there. But there will be prayer, there will be encouragement, maybe even quietly sung worship songs. But why all the secrecy for many believers in Muslim countries? Well, it's because Muslims don't understand Christians. Either they're misinformed or Christians have misrepresented Christ. Both of these have happened to a high degree. All they might know about Christians is that we worship three gods, which is the Trinity, misunderstood as polytheism, that we watch dirty movies and our wives and our daughters dress promiscuously, because this is what Hollywood announces out of Christian America. And, of course, we like to send our military in to interfere in Muslim nations. And this goes all the way back to the Crusades. So I don't know about you, but if I was in those shoes, that would get my defenses up pretty high too, honestly. There's a great need today for the Muslim world to get a refreshed view of who followers of Jesus truly are. The world desperately needs the kingdom of God. We're not exporting Western culture or even religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion at all. Rather, we are followers of of a Savior who is born in the Middle East. He's Middle Eastern. And he is setting up a non-political kingdom of righteousness and truth that brings blessing and health wherever it goes. That's the kingdom of God. Countless Muslims have been pleasantly surprised as they've stepped into friendship with genuine followers of Jesus and get their first taste of the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, 86% of Muslims have never met a follower of Jesus face-to-face. There's a great need today for the body of Christ to go out into the world, and not just anywhere for the sake of going to another country and calling it missions, but rather into strategic places that are hardly touched today by the blessing of the kingdom of God, and there's many of those on earth. My family had the privilege of having our home in Afghanistan for three years. If you want, you can try on a burqa at the back table there, or a nice Afghan hat. See a few pictures that we have there. It was a real precious gift to work there for three years, have our three boys start their lives there. But we've been really sad this year watching the Taliban take over. Today, Afghans are desperate to leave the country. And a friend sent me a picture uh, just a couple weeks ago as Pakistan finally opened up their border, and Afghans were just crushing to exit the country, just desperate to leave. And this, of course, raises the question, What kind of leadership is happening inside of Afghanistan that people would just be pressing to get out so desperately? Currently, it's the Taliban. They're an ultra-conservative, Sunni, Pashtun, hardline group. They are telling teenage girls to stay home from school, women to stay home from work, and men shouldn't go to the barber and trim their beards. They're also banning social media posts of the executions that are currently taking place. I just got a message again yesterday from a friend. Traumatized by what he saw. And they're shrouding their actions in secrecy. The economy has crashed. There's no work. Only 5% of Afghans today report having enough food. They're starving. And the previous government was Western-backed. So much better, right? Well, not really. Because there is such a nice setting of the stage for the Taliban just to waltz in and smoothly take over the country without any resistance. That was so set up. And of course, that left Afghans abandoned and unprotected, while the president, according to the story, fled in a helicopter, literally stuffed with cash. He drove in with a vehicle that couldn't even fit all the money they were trying to get in. That's the story. So this catastrophic failure of both factions, hardline religious leaders, Western-backed leaders, shows the failure of world systems, to be able to bring lasting peace in a country. The only answer for Afghanistan is the kingdom of God. So what does it look like when kingdom leadership comes into a country? Well, kingdom leadership provides and protects. And I'd like to look at a few verses from Isaiah 32. You can go there if you want to. Isaiah knew the difference between godly and evil government. He prophesied during the reign of at least four different kings. Three of them were good. One was evil. There's two evil ones in the northern kingdom at that time. He saw the difference of leaders opposed to God and submitted to God. And Isaiah is a good Bible prophet to look at this Sunday with the persecuted church. The Bible doesn't tell us necessarily how Isaiah died, but Hebrews 11 talks about those that were sawn in two. And the Talmud, which is like a central history book of Judaism, records that Isaiah's martyrdom was it happened when he was inside of a tree and it was sawn in two. And this was by order of evil King Manasseh. So listen to what Isaiah prophesies. We'll start in verse 1. Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Our sovereign ruler is righteous, and these princes are submitted to him in a right relationship. This is godly government. Verse 2. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. These are the two basic leadership responsibilities, provide and protect. And this isn't describing the king. It says, and each one. This is referring to those, those honest princes. These, the whole expansive leadership is taking on this mandate of providing and protecting. And let, let's see the result. Verses 3, I'm going to jump to verse 17 as well. Then everyone who has eyes will be able to see the truth. And everyone who has ears will be able to hear it. And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. Lasting peace. Something the world cannot offer. That's been proven over and over and over. Can you imagine the impact across Afghanistan that this kind of leadership was in place? No more leaders lining their pockets with money and selling people out that they have a duty to protect but national leaders submitted to God, honestly serving their country. And These verses aren't just leadership theory. This is teaching for all of us today. All of us are princes. Galatians 4 says that we are, each one of us here, sons of God. And 2 Corinthians 6 says that all of us, as men and women, are sons and daughters of the king. The king is our own father. And so we are all royal ambassadors on this earth here. We are called to protect and provide for others all across God's kingdom here. So don't miss this. We are all God's royal ambassadors sent by the king to announce his kingdom. So as we consider our role as children of king on this earth, I'd like to show a video from the ministry Open Doors. You can run that. That'll help us understand the persecuted church a little bit better this morning. So turn your attention there. Massive roots underground, trees resilient in the desert, one in eight persecuted. There's a missions leader that recently gave an interview about the Afghan church saying, don't be sorry for believers still inside of Afghanistan. Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. It's a hard text to think about. But we have to take our brothers in Afghanistan deeply into this theology of the cross may they suffer well under the Taliban causing this question where are you getting your hope from this happens over and over in countries where there's persecution it's easy to make the mistake of thinking every persecuted believer should just be rescued by us and extracted from difficulty and many i've seen many in the american church fall into this mindset even in the last couple of months but the accounts of persecution in the bible make it clear that sometimes god wants us to flee And sometimes he wants us to stand and remain as salt and light. A friend of mine disciples a new brother in Afghanistan who is pressing more closely into the Lord as he remains inside the country. Despite all the danger from the Taliban, this Afghan brother just recently posed the question, the people of my country need this message. How are we going to share it with them? Wow. It's not an easy thing. And other Afghan Christians who escaped, they will still work from the gospel from outside of their country. They're not inferior for leaving. But let's honor the pathway of remaining inside contexts of persecution for the sake of witness, and pray for the believers that are called to do this as they continue witnessing to their family and friends. And the video says one thing I want to speak to, how our brothers and sisters in persecuted areas are living boldly in the desert, and they depend on the church the roots of his family, for water and support. I want to just push back a little bit on that. Even though Open Doors has an awesome motto of one church and one family, fully agree with that. I think this unfortunate wording of depending on the church, the roots of his family, um, paints a picture of persecuted believers putting their roots down into us, the stable and fortifying church that supports them. And yes, our prayers are important and helpful to them. We, We can support them. But what tree is ever rooted in itself? As the body of Christ, all our roots go down into Christ and into his love. And that's where our brothers and sisters are drawing strength from today. They're rooting themselves into Christ. We don't want to make this mistake of seeing ourselves as being the haves and them as the have-nots. We need them to inspire godliness in us and to model godliness for us. This is another learning point for us as COVID has upset our world. What happens to our walk with God when our normal church experience gets disrupted? Are our roots in the church or are they in Christ himself? Do we rely on Sunday mornings for our spiritual input or do we know how to feed ourselves with God's word? It's a good thing for families and small groups to know how to worship together, care for each other, study God's word together and be the church together even without the normal church infrastructure that we've come to rely on. For us, when we were overseas, we sometimes took turns preaching, acting out Bible stories with the kids, maybe a John Piper sermon, maybe a Veggie Tales DVD, but somehow we sang, we prayed, we studied God's Word together, we fellowshiped together, ate together, and this mutual encouragement kept our faith strong. Here's another learning point for us to look at from the persecuted church. The persecuted church can teach us about unity, It's so important that we don't see ourselves as separate from the persecuted church. We are all one in Christ, even if we lack persecution in North America of the level experienced in other countries. A word I sensed yesterday from God for us today is, there is no divide. We are them, and they are us. If one member suffers, all suffer together. One body, not many bodies. As they are cold in prison today... Hungry, lonely, missing their families, in pain from wounds inflicted on them, we help carry their pain when we remember them in prayer. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6. And let's not make the mistake of thinking our unity with them is in any shared experience of persecution that we have in common. I'm aware that churches and Christians are not always treated fairly here in Canada. And yes, during the pandemic, we've been inconvenienced by restrictions. But we dishonor the blood shed by the persecuted church if we claim to be experiencing actual persecution here and hoist up that martyr's flag here in Canada. Canada is one of the most comfortable and peaceful countries in the world. And I am truly humbled and grieved when I compare two things. On one hand, North American Christian complaints of persecution and Asian Christians' prayers for their persecuted or for their persecutors. That's quite a contrast point. Yes, we experience hard things here, but may God keep us from any victim mentality and help us to lift our eyes up off ourselves, remember the persecuted church, and not just have our compassion focused on ourselves. We are not unified with them by our experience. But we are unified with them 100% by the blood of Christ. It's easy to quickly forget our basis for unity in the church. Is it our theology? Do we only unite with believers on the basis of water baptism by immersion, by how the gift of tongues is understood, or by a correct view of how church leadership should be structured? Because, you know, I understand that the best, right? May these secondary issues never become barriers between us and the church. Our unity is in that we've been washed by the blood of one Savior. Or is our basis for unity our vaccination status? Do we only approve of people who either took the vaccine like we did or who did not take the vaccine like we did? When God looks at us, is our vaccination status the first thing that he sees? Of course not. I believe the decision of getting a COVID vaccine or not is an important decision, not to take lightly. But we have voices in the world trying to elevate vaccination status far above salvation status. And we even have voices inside the church doing this too. But if God's approval of us doesn't depend on whether we got the vaccine or not, should we make our approval of others contingent on this choice? Our basis for unity is based on a deeper eternal reality. Our standing before God by faith in one source of salvation. The Lamb of God slain for our sins. I'm not saying people shouldn't have an educated opinion about vaccines. That's quite important. Believers should read God's word, discern the times. But some people might be standing on the wrong battlefield today. Faced off against family members. Satan is eagerly wants to divide the church. He wants to get us to position ourselves against each other. So bear with me for a moment and picture this. I'm going to try and illustrate this. I don't know if I can. Um, But imagine two football teams faced off. So I think that's Scott behind the mask there. So let's say there's the Rough Riders and the Bombers. All right. The only problem is one of the teams, let's say the Bombers, have a mix of, of both their offensive and defensive lines on the field at the same time. So you've got these two teams that are faced off against each other. Here's the Rough Riders, here's the Bombers. But the Bombers have had some kind of row between them. They're not getting along. And so all the defensive and offensive players are now facing off against each other. They're turning 90 degrees at each other. This is a picture of what's happening in the church sometimes. Even the Rough Riders can beat the bombers on a play like that. (laughs) Sorry, Scott. (laughs) I used to live in Saskatchewan. It's okay. (laughs) But this is one of the oldest tricks in the devil's book, getting us to divide against each other on secondary issues, missing the main thing. What is the main thing? What is that primary thing that's above our secondary issues? It's our shared mission of reaching the world for Christ. This unites all believers around the world. I want to quote from five giants of the faith on this one. First, Count Zinzendorf, who founded the Moravian Mission Movement. I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field, and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. There's someone who gets what's primary. John Wesley said... You have but one business on earth, to save souls. David Brainerd said this, All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Amy Carmichael. Only as the church fulfills her missionary obligation does she justify her existence. And Ellie Maxwell. O oh, fellow believer, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Joshua 13:1. Let us lift up our eyes and behold the fields white unto harvest. Oh to get over the civil war that we may go into all the world and win for the lamb the reward of his sufferings. It's not just the persecuted church that's called to lay down their lives. We sang about laying down our lives this morning. There is no divide, and we all share this same mission. Another learning point. The persecuted church can teach us about forgiveness. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine visited a group of Muslim background believers from the underground church in Africa, He went out and met with 12 of them, and one brother recounted the story of his imprisonment. He had been shackled and chained so that his wrists and his ankles were together, and he was in this position, living like this for five full years. But this brother spoke of the deep love that Jesus gave him for his captors, and not bitterness. That's the miracle, the gospel. Another example. In April 2017, there was two bomb attacks by Islamic State militants on Coptic Christian church services. This was in Egypt, and they killed more than 45 people. One man who was killed, his wife was interviewed on national television, and I want you to see the impact of her forgiveness. We're going to play a video on the TV Anchorman. Let's watch the video and read the subtitles at the very bottom. 1st to you'll hear from her and then his response. So this sister's powerful forgiveness that evoked such a strong emotional response from this Muslim TV anchorman on national TV that just reminds me of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We today have this mission to let God plead through us, just like our sister did. But I want to ask, what about you? There's many believers right here in Canada right now who are in their own prisons of forgiveness, of unforgiveness. And if I mention the importance of forgiveness, is there someone that comes to your mind, maybe that God prompts you to think about? Unforgiveness always holds us back from experiencing the full forgiveness that God has made available to us. Don't let today pass without forgiving someone that you need to forgive. Be gentle with yourself in that. Allow God's grace to help you with forgiving. And you might be blessed by some help from a professional counselor or one of the pastors here. But let's set others free by our act of forgiving, just as we've been set free And as we forgive others, we will increasingly experience freedom ourselves. We will be more free to walk out God's mission with bold obedience as his royal ambassadors. Now, helping others to find forgiveness too. This is what it means to be ministers of reconciliation when we experience it, when we extend it to others who offended us, and when we help others to also experience that freedom. So I want to summarize some of the points that we can learn from the persecuted church. First, we're not in a superior place. They have as much to give us as we have to give them. We need each other. There's no divide. Second, we need to stay rooted in Christ himself as they do and not have roots in the institution of the church. Third, don't allow disunity to divide God's people. Diverse opinions... A resounding yes, let's have diversity in the body of Christ. May we never always agree with each other. That would be a terrible thing. But divisiveness, may it never be found in churches. John 17 says that the world will know the gospel specifically through our unity. Fourth, we've heard testimonies from the persecuted church and they're filled with with unbelievable forgiveness. So choose to forgive those who have mistreated you. Forgiveness will open you up for effectiveness in declaring the gospel through your life. And then fifth, just as the persecuted church boldly witnesses for Jesus in the face of risk, we are called to do the same. And as we join them in mission, we honor their sacrifices. Maybe you would like to better expand your worldview, put yourself in the shoes of our persecuted brothers and sisters, and even make a difference in their lives. I want to leave you with five suggestions here. First, pray. Simple. should be our first and last thing. You can go to your App Store or Google Play Store and search for Priority 100 Prayer. That's an excellent prayer app that will get you praying for the edges of the harvest, difficult places, or Look for Open Doors Prayer. That's the organization I showed the ministry of, or the, the video of. Or you can sign up for our prayer updates at the back table. We'll send you occasional emails, about three per year. Take time out of your day-to-day, at lunch, at supper, at bedtime. Pray for the persecuted church. Make it a habit. Pray with your children for the persecuted church. Second, give. You can donate to the Afghanistan Response Fund, something that we set up recently, which has three parts in it. First, there's gospel media that encourages the underground church and it makes good news accessible to desperate Muslims inside Afghanistan. Two, it makes food relief packages possible for hungry families inside Afghanistan. And three, it makes ministry possible to vulnerable Afghan refugees in countries around Afghanistan. And there's donation forms at the back for that. Number three, read. Reading is a great way to grow. Like I said, I stole a bunch of books from the library there. You can pick up a copy of Tortured for Christ, the story of Richard Rumbrandt, who started Voice of the Martyrs. Or there's a newer book like Secret Believers by Brother Andrew of Open Doors. Um, there's the book Safely Home about the persecuted church in China. And I think Gundy's got her name first, but you can still put uh, your name after hers on the sign-up list. Um, that's my personal copy. I've got a couple of my personal books there. Um... Right, yeah. And make sure you sign, up the, sign out the books with Edith. Don't just walk out with the library books. Be kind to Edith and, and the library here. And I also have a gift for Calvary. That's this book. It's called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. This is my favorite book I've read in the last 10 years. And there's no book that better represents my heart for you as a church with this sermon today. Nick Ripkin traveled to Africa, to a country with the highest persecution on the continent there. First, he went to teach believers. But he had such a crisis of faith in this hard country that he realized they had more to teach him. And so God actually called him to travel around the world, visiting the persecuted church and learning from them. And so this book has those stories. So just put your hand up if you'd like to read it. Simple question. One, two, three, four. All right, so that's about like 11. Great. So what I want you to do is just give your name to Edith or Agatha, or you can write it on the paper there, and then Agatha will make sure that everyone kind of gets the book eventually. I think that's the best way to share a book. Or just buy your own on Amazon. This one's free. All right. Fourth way, reach out. We don't want to take for granted and squander the freedom that we have to evangelize here in Canada. No one's threatening us. The cost of witnessing is usually mild annoyance from the other person. That's what I've experienced. Last week, I heard this evangelism tip to open up conversations. Just be 10% more friendly. It's easy. And then see what flows from that. Start with prayer first. Step out, try it. Let's always be making disciples, wherever we are. That never goes on break. And the fifth thing, go out. We heard the phrase this morning, run towards the need. Let's be willing to even serve alongside the persecuted church inside of their countries too. Facing some of the same risks that they face along with them. Just as Jesus left heaven to bring peace to earth, the team I work with can empower you to leave Canada and then support you in bringing the message of Jesus' love into many of the countries that are on the world watch list that Open Doors publishes. We're not exempt from carrying our cross. There's no reason Canadian Christians should be exempt from experiencing prison just because we were born in a different country. The Apostle Paul talks about the fellowship experienced in sharing in the sufferings of Christ. There's fellowship that's found in this suffering. That's not something to keep yourself back from. Don't chase after it either. But be willing. These risks are a normal part of carrying your cross and being a follower of Christ. Here's a specific opportunity. Our organization has a couple of British team leaders in Africa, also with Salt and Light. One of them is recruiting for short-term help. They need someone. They're looking for a single lady who can come next fall for like 3 to 12 months and help them with education and with their kids. So they're looking for someone who's flexible, positive, adventurous, vibrant believer, eager to serve and to learn. If you have French or Arabic, that's great, but just English is okay. It's a really rustic place, great refugee ministry happening there. Wouldn't it be great to send someone from a salt and light church to a salt and light team leader? So just talk to the Going Global team and they can hook you up with that. We've got some information about that team at the table too. And let's face our Canadian church challenges, which I acknowledge are complex with the awareness that our difficulties don't compare to our brothers and sisters around the world. Think of that phrase from Hebrews, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed. May our gratitude for our peace in Canada lead us to bold acts of love for the kingdom of God, both stepping out here at home and stepping out to share and serve God's love in the hard places of the world. The world is wide open to us as children of the King. And we have His permission to speak about Christ in every nation on earth. Maybe you feel God prompting you to take a step forward. I want you to just take a moment and listen to Him, whatever He might put on your heart. And as you want to obey God's leading in that, Tell someone about your next step that you want to take. In the pre service prayer, Michelle had a picture of a lighthouse that she shared with me. And I want to leave that with you as we finish with a quote here from Oswald Chambers from My Utmost for His Highest. If you yourself do not cut the lines that tie you to the dock, God will have to use a storm to sever them and to send you out to sea. Put everything in your life. Afloat upon God, going out to sea on the great swelling tide of His purpose, and your eyes will be opened. If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all your time in the calm waters just inside the harbor, full of joy, but always tied to the dock. You have to get out, past the harbor, into the great depths of God. And I felt like even sitting here before I came up to preach, I had a word about the skylight here. It's gorgeous that you have this. Few churches have this. But this skylight isn't to let the light in. This skylight is for letting the light out. As you look up at it, remember that. That's your purpose. As a lighthouse placed here, to let that light go out. So I want to bless all of you in Jesus' name as you boldly live out your identity as royal ambassadors, representing our King's heart as protectors and as providers in a lost world. Amen.